Try again. Good morning, everyone. Uh, those who haven't met us or have forgotten our names, David and Mary Williams, we're Brits. We came over to 2 Joan 2003 and worked for the country church for many years and still come back for most summer holidays here in Australia. But John chapter 9, what an amazing chapter. The man born blind, given sight. What a wonderful biblical miracle. Miracles are wonderful, aren't they? Miracles in the Bible, miracles in our lives, miracles we hear about on the mission field today. Big miracles, small miracles, life-changing miracles, as for this man, or small miracles that God just gives his children as bonuses to help us along our way. Things that we don't expect or wouldn't even have thought of, but God thinks of them and gives us so many encouragements along the way. Obviously, we've got battles to face as well because that's the world we live in. There's this battle between good and evil, between the perfect and the imperfect, what's really good and encouraging, and the atrocities and travesties in God's good world. As Jesus said in the next chapter, which I think is next week, a reference, John 10, verse 10. That ought to be easy enough to remember in the decimal system, 10 tens, 100. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. I know what side I'm on, but to be on Jesus' side, I need to have my Christian armor on. I need to be alert, covered by the blood of Jesus, to be able to resist the evil one. It comes in so many ways to steal and kill and destroy. And we've only got to listen to the news or read the newspapers to see all that evil work that's going on in the world. But God is not powerless. He was not powerless through Jesus Christ walking along the streets, happening to see this man born blind and told him how he could receive his sight. An amazing miracle that happened then. A miracle for the man. A miracle for the family, a miracle for the parents, a miracle in the synagogue congregation, a miracle amongst the neighbors. Glory be to Jesus. And just as this is one of the signs of John's gospel, we've got this almost verbatim record of what happened. And so I just want to go through those different steps and stages of that ordinary Jewish person who was a blind beggar coming through to faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Now, we have got a slide, and it should say, the man born blind. There's a bit of a mix-up here. This is it. Great. Thank you very much. So if you're following in the Bible, uh, the, the blind man, Jesus comes along, makes um, mud, putty, puts it on his eyes. Go to Siloam. I wonder what was the first encounter you had with Jesus. Perhaps you didn't know it at the time, but some small act that was actually doing what he wanted. And then in verse 17, after he is healed, what do you say of him? He is a prophet. God's spokesman, a man of God. That man who they call Jesus is a prophet. And then working out his thinking at that time, verse 33, if this man were not of God, he couldn't have done it. So this man, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, that the Pharisees are criticizing, wanted to exclude, is from God. 
and you see him beginning to change sides. And perhaps your experience of coming to Christ was one of changing sides. There's a mention about disciples as well in verse 22. Yes, if he is who he says to be, I want to be his disciple. Nothing would stop me. And then as he meets the person he hasn't seen before but heard his voice, Jesus came to him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me this so that I might believe in him. The Son of Man, the perfection of humanity, everything right about him, no imperfections. Do you believe in the Jesus you have just met? I believe, verse 38, and worshipped him. And so became one of the first messianic believers who with that Jewish heritage and the heritage of what we call the Old Testament, saw that God had now fulfilled all his promises of sending a helper to the world that we could be saved. The story of the man born blind who could now see, I am the light of the world, and gave physical light into that blind man's life. And instead of being restricted to what he could see or touch near at hand, he had vision to see beautiful sunsets, the birds of the air, the trees, the friends that he'd built up over the years. Oh, what a wonderful miracle. When God who spoke in Genesis, the light into the darkness, Jesus met him and gave him light in his darkness. And as signs of John's gospel, it's not just a physical healing, but a spiritual healing, because in one way or another, we were all blind. As they said to that man, you were born in sin, he was born blind. And that's how maybe we all start, born into a sinful world and contaminated by the evil that's here. But then spiritually blind until Jesus comes in, gives us spiritual sight. No longer are we short-sighted or blind spots or cataracts, able to see God's world because of what Jesus did but see spiritually, see the real issues at work, see the values of eternity, see the values of the kingdom of God, and want that in our own lives. A mighty miracle. Praise God. The man's miracle. His parents' miracle. The family and relatives' miracle. The neighbor's miracle. And the miracle for the synagogue family that has supported him and nurtured him over the years. Let's try and look in more detail at those first couple of verses, John 9, verses 1 and 2. And there should be another slide. No, not this one, the other text one. This is it. And just stretch it out a bit. Take it stage by stage. As Jesus went along, yes, he is mixing with the ordinary people in the streets. He didn't have a huge royal retinue or didn't dare taint himself with true humanity. He entered this world in a mucky stable after all. Jesus went along, he saw, and he notices these things. He saw a man blind from birth. And we know later on that his parents are still alive and now he's an adult. He saw a man blind with birth, from birth. Let's just stop for a moment. A baby born blind, now an adult. And his parents are still alive and together. I emphasize that this baby blind baby is now an adult and his parents are still together because that couldn't always be guaranteed. 
and it can't always be guaranteed these days. Go back a couple of thousand years before Christ, when God told the Joshua and the Israelites to have that moral cleansing of the land of Canaan. Why? Because amongst other atrocities, they sacrificed babies on the altar of Molech. So maybe a couple together, first baby, their duty in the society was to actually go to the altar, kill their baby, and offer it as a burnt offering. Such abominable practices. So there's no guarantee that the baby would have survived anyway. Or a baby born with a disability, physical or mental. What would have happened around the time of Christ at the center of civilization in the capital of Rome? Polite society and posh families, if they had a baby with a deformity or, or even a female, they might just, and the phrase was, expose their child. Sounds so polite, doesn't it, that basically they rejected the child and put it out with the garbage because they didn't want such a baby. Well, what happens these days with so many tests for pregnancy and some parents having to put that ultimate test, what would you do if you're going to have new, you're going to have a deformed baby? So just the fact that he was born blind and still alive couldn't have been taken for granted. And then what else happens to parents these days, especially those that aren't married? They have a baby, if there's a deformity, or later on a, a mental deficiency appears, the father so often ups and leaves and disappears over east. So what we're taking for granted in the Bible, sadly, couldn't be guaranteed elsewhere in human societies, however civilized they claimed to be. But here was a believing family who went to the synagogue, the parents and the blind boy. And over the years, people would have had a word with him, encouraged him, encouraged them in the faith. And through those tests of faith, glory came later. Now, as a bit of an aside to all that, sometimes I Google hymns and hymn writers you might know the old uh, glory hymns, uh, Blessed Assurance and To God Be the Glory, written under pseudonyms by Fanny Crosby, born 200 years ago in outback uh, America. And she had an eye infection as a baby. The quack doctor recommended hot mustard poultices over the eyes. Baby screamed and lost her sight. She became blind but through the love of her mother and grandmother, came to faith. And God entrusted her with a beautiful sense of music and a comp composition of hymns. And hundreds of hymns came out of that tragedy that still blessed the church today. Or our final hymn today, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, written 400 years ago in the times of the civil wars in Europe and in Germany. He was the pastor of a walled city. Thousands of people were in that city, being starved to death, famine and plague. He lost his own wife and was doing about 50 funerals a day. What human atrocities occur. But out of that, 
he was able to speak that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, sorry, that's the other one. Now, thank we all our God. But What a Friend We Have in Jesus, written by an Irish missionary. First of all, he was due to be married the following day. Looking forward to it. The night before his fiancée was drowned in an accident. Becomes a missionary to America. In 20 years later, engaged again. His wife dies from pneumonia. His fiancée dies from pneumonia. Thousands of miles away, he realizes his mother's suffering a fatal illness. And he wrote that poem to comfort her. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's amazing how in human adversity, tragedy and travesty, God is not powerless. He can work. And if you and I are going through tough periods, God has not deserted us. He is with us and can bring gems out of the darkness. What a wonderful God we have. And so as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples had questions. And you and I as Christian disciples have so many questions about why does God allow this or permit that or tolerate that atrocity. Our intellects can't cope with it. And so his disciples asked questions, and we can as well. We might not get the full answer to our human intellects, but we maybe get some more clues and jigsaws to help us see the pattern of how God does work his purpose out. And they asked him, Rabbi, the name of Jesus that emphasized he is a teacher and we are there to learn as his disciples. Who sinned? Yes, it's not a perfect situation. Something's gone wrong somewhere. What was actually medically missing or didn't develop in the womb? What was it? Was it this man or his parents? But such simplistic questions don't have simplistic answers. And the question of evil is one of the biggest questions we have to battle with this side of eternity. And so, could have been this man. Because some other world faiths believe in a karma, that something happened in a previous life. And so we suffer in this life. Or his parents, were they particular sinners that he was born blind? No. God was somehow containing that within his plans of good and love. Now, as a bit of a side about all the sin in the world, I want to jump to another reference, which is another text slide, Luke 13. We probably haven't got time to look at it, but again, try and remember it. 13 for some people is an unlucky number, so it's Luke 13. It deals with three terrible tragedies. What Jesus said with the problem of evil. The first thing, which was in the news then, what about those worshippers that Pilate had slaughtered and mixed their blood with the sacrifices? And there are human atrocities, whether they're at worship, as in New Zealand, or the persecution and martyrdom of so many Christians throughout the world. There are so many human atrocities. And what about wars and civil wars? human selfishness. And it used to be that people blamed religion for wars. and Maybe they still do. But what about the worst wars of the last century? Communism, Stalin, 
and all the countries in Africa that had slaughtering civil wars? What about Hitler? What about Mao Zedong? What about those non-religious or anti-religious people that started all those wars? So that counterbalances what so many people allege. So there's human atrocities. And so Jesus said to the crowds, and you think about all those worshippers that Pilate slaughtered. And people think, ah, oh, who's Jesus going to blame? No, he doesn't get involved in that. And unless you likewise repent, you also will perish. Ah, oh, okay. Let's try another one. What about that tower of Siloam that collapsed, killing those 18 people? Who are you going to blame? The architect, the overcrowding, health and safety? Or what is it going to be? And Jesus said, very similarly, do you think they're worse sinners than anyone else? No. But unless you likewise repent, you too will perish. Ah. So I wonder what Jesus would comment on some of the tragedies of these days. Then there's a, the second chances. There's a fig tree that's given another year and another year to start bearing fruit. God so often gives second chances where we might not. And then verses 10 to 13, personal suffering, an old lady bowed down with severe arthritis. Jesus touches her. She straightens up and praises God. Even in the midst of suffering, God is not powerless. There's so many stories of deliverance. And our modern equivalents say the, um, the slaughter of innocent worshippers. Mary and I were in Jerusalem once, and we heard of a terrorist bomb that went off in a bus during the rush hour. It turned out that although the terrorist was committed to the bus, a rush-hour bus was only half full. And we heard stories trickling back of Christians whose alarm clock didn't work that morning or woke up with raging toothache so they couldn't face work. Or say with the Twin Towers, we met one of the survivors from it. And why was it that 45,000 people were late for work that day? And then I read recently in an old magazine, the, um, there's one survivor that you saw on the film, the plane crashed into his office and went past him. And he survived and climbed down 82 stairs on his own because that person had claimed the protection of the blood of Jesus on his life and that day. How we need to be protected with Christian armor the battles that face us. So it's the story of a man born blind and Jesus coming into his life. May Jesus come into each of our lives to give us real spiritual sight and keep cleansing in our eyes to keep our thoughts and minds focused on eternity and the future and set our minds on the one who is above, Jesus Christ. And if at at the moment, we're having to undergo various trials or frustrations in our livelihoods, in our businesses, and even in our bodies. Let us remember that above all, we are members of the kingdom of heaven, 
and our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change the bodies of our low human mortal estate to be like unto his glorious body, according to the working of his mighty power, by which he can change all things to himself. That's our faith, and that's our future, whatever might be happening to us down here on earth. Thank you very much. Thank you.